Hello and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stanzial. Chris, let me set the stage for you. There I am. Saturday afternoon, I'm covering a game for a Big East Coast Bias, SB Nation sister site that's focused solely on Big East hoops, a little bit of Big East baseball, and some other miscellaneous activities. And I'm at the Garden covering the game for St. John's Seton Hall, and I'm there. And it was pretty good. My plan was to cover that game. Then when I was done covering that game, I was going to beeline home, catch whatever I could of the Creighton-Villanova game, which was going to tip off right after it. And so I'm at the game. And, of course, it goes into overtime. And then after that, of course, Chris Mullen decides to take his sweet time coming out of the locker room. And the press conferences and everything's delayed. And by the time I get out, I can't even watch the first half of the game. And I'm sitting there thinking, all right, you know what I can do? I can go down to the Brazen Fox, save myself a trip home, watch what I can of the game, the second half or whatever I can of the second half. And then I'll be able to enjoy it from there as opposed to beelining home as fast as I can, then only catching maybe like the last five minutes by the time I get home. So there I am. I'm in a cab. I head into the Brazen Fox and we're up. Up by maybe six, six or eight. And I see that Villanova's large lead of the game. Things are looking good. It's deep into the second half. And then, let me tell you, after working 13 straight days, that was not the ending I needed. <laughs> Chris, what happened in this 89-83 to 83 overtime loss to the Creighton Blue Jays? A team that going in, we were very heavily favored against. Yes, it was at the CenturyLink Center, which is not an easy place to play in. And yes, we did blow out this team by 20 earlier in the season. But what happened in this overtime collapse, I guess you could call it? Well, before we get into that, I just want to say, you, you've witnessed some pretty good games at the Garden this year so far. So hopefully that continues into the Big East tournament. And you got two overtime games, at least, over the weekend. So at least you got to see some good games, not exactly the results you wanted. I, even though the Seton Hall-St. John's game was a good game, I feel like that overtime was a little bit of a nuisance for you. But... And I guess the Villanova one as well, because that game shouldn't have been in overtime. But yeah, this this was very, very reminiscent of the Marquette game last year. Same situation, up six to eight points late in the game, under four timeout. You think this team has the game in the bag. And they played a pretty good game, staved off some runs by the opposing team. And then it just falls apart. And I'm not even sure really what it was. And I, I'm left perplexed. Similar to how I felt after the Marquette game last year, where it just it, it it was a combination of bad shots, bad possessions, bad defense. It was just bad all bad basketball all around. There really wasn't one play that stuck out to me where it was like, all right, that's why we lost. I think it was just the comedy of errors. It looked like they were panicking, and you know I'm at the point now where I'm like, this is kind of feels like how the Miami Heat felt when they had LeBron and Wade and Bosh. Like. Just let's just get through the regular season and get to the playoffs where it matters. And that's how I feel with Villanova in March. But at the same time, you're seeing the ways they're losing and you kind of get a little worried. Creighton's the type of team you see in the round of 32. And if you're up eight, six to eight points, maybe even 10, whatever it may be, if you're up late and you're panicking, are they going to do this in, in the tournament? And it's really, really concerning because I thought Jalen would take over. He'd say, all right, give me the ball. Let me do my thing. But no, it was more... Let's have Dante hack up a bad shot from three. 
let's have Bridges have, have a bad shot from three. And then leaving Gillespie out there at the end, too, I didn't understand that. Where was Phil Booth? Why was Phil Booth not in? If, if Phil Booth wasn't going to be in for Gillespie, at least have him in for Dante, at least. He was just horrible, horrible on the day as well. A lot of bad things going on. And, and on top of it all, <laughs> and even after the collapse, you still had a shot to win this game at the very end with Dante grabbing a rebound and getting fouled in the waning seconds. And he goes to the line for two and only hits one. That was kind of similar to Wisconsin last year where he had two big free throws and he only hit one. And I think Wisconsin went down to hit the shot to put them ahead right after he had missed. But luckily this time it was for the tie and then Bridges bailed them out with the big block at the end only to lose in overtime. But it was just a comedy of errors, bad basketball on both sides of the court. And it's just it's just a little concerning as to why they panic this in this part of the season and such a, a crucial part of the game. I know you said you can't pinpoint a single play, but if there's one play that hurt, it was the play before Dante went one for two on the line. Jalen Brunson goes in for the steal. We're up to goes in for the steal. Yeah. And leaves yeah, an right. open Mitchell Ballack in the corner. And he hits the three to put them up by one. And granted, thankfully, we had the last possession. Dante goes to the line with just under 10 seconds left. And you would think, like, all right, big spot. Make two. We go home, hopefully, with the win. But instead, he goes one for two, so we get the tie. And I thought that I didn't even know what happened for a second there. Because you just see Marcus Foster drive in. And all of a sudden, as the buzzer is going off, you see the ball just fly the other direction and then once you realize Mikhail Bridges just absolutely swatted you're like oh my god oh my god we have a chance to do this the whole Brazen Fox was shaking everyone was so hyped but going back to what you said you really can't pinpoint a single play because I felt like the last four and a half minutes of regulation going into overtime was just a one massive brain fart and yes in the beginning of overtime Eric Pascal was able to like master them with those two buckets at the beginning but mm-hmm. then after that we were just nowhere to be found Nowhere to be found, and it was just hard. I felt like everything Creighton was doing was just easy. They just got what they wanted easily. Yeah, you're you're right. And Epperson had a great game for Creighton. He obviously coming out of nowhere, burning the red shirt year. And did you know he's from Australia? I had no idea. The, the announcers really didn't talk about it enough. But to get back to Villanova, it is kind of blasphemous to me for me to say like Dante really didn't have a good game. You you look back on the box score, and you know Dante put up twelve points, three of six shooting from deep, but it just felt like he was just hacking up some bad shots, bad shot selection early in the shot clock. And that's what kind of doomed Villanova last year at Marquette. And I keep bringing it back to it because it's just so reminiscent of that. And yeah, I was clamoring for Booth, but he really didn't have that great of a game either. He was actually pretty terrible. One of six from deep. He had some open threes that at the end of the game, I feel like if him and even Gillespie too had nailed this, this wouldn't have been an issue, not even the slightest. There was two possessions. Don't remember exactly when they were, but it was definitely under the after the under four where it was a fast break situation. Both guys were in the corner, and they both had wide open threes, and they just bricked them. It was, it was good looking off the hand, but I think Phil's was short and Gillespie's was long, and then Creighton was able to go down and hit some shots and then able to tie the game and get it to overtime. So it was really just an all-around bad effort, and – I don't, I'm not saying Jalen Bunsen's bad, but he's got to find his three point shot, man. We were talking about it off air just before recording. His past six games, he's shooting 15.6% from deep. 
that's bad. That's that's really, really bad. That was like Villanova's performance against St. John's, and he's doing it individually over a six-game stretch. Obviously, that's not the type of player he is. He's a much better player than that. He's a much better shooter than that, and I expect him to get his shooting game back. But that's that has been one of the downfalls so far of this six-game stretch where this team has played 500 ball. The top guys are just not shooting well, and I feel that some of the role players too, it's just a lot of people are, are just missing their shots when they're open, and I, I don't know why that is right now. I guess it's just the law of averages. Uh, I don't know. With Brunson, you'd hope that this isn't anything like what Chris Jenkins was suffering last year in which the second half of the season, and especially coming down the stretch, he could not find his stroke. His three-point stroke was just not there. It was not where he was during that 2016 national title run. It wasn't where he was in the first half of his senior season. And you got to hope that this is not going to be the long term for Jalen Brunson because 16 or 15.6% rather, to be exact, is not ideal, especially in the last six games. March is just around the corner. You got to hope that next game would be the game where he would shake it off. But so far, he hasn't been able to. I guess you just got to look with the next game with Seton Hall. Maybe he'll get his get back into a groove. But yeah, the three-point line has not been kind to him. But just looking overall at this team, you would see, just looking at the box score, you would think, oh, wow, this was a pretty solid game. All five starters each hit double figures. But you look at the bench, you have Colin Gillespie and Phil Booth combined for two for 13 on the floor and only six points, and that was your only production. That's not pretty good basketball. Unfortunately, DCR and Samuels only logged a few minutes here and there. So you got a bulk of your bench minutes from Gillespie and Booth, and they weren't all that productive, and that hurt. But looking at Creighton's side, you got to tip your cap to Marcus Foster and Kyrie Thomas. I felt that Kyrie Thomas was a little too passive in the first meeting at the Wells Fargo Center. Only took five shot takes. He's really blossomed as an offensive player. We know him as the defensive talent he is. But this time around, he steps up drops 24, and you put him and Foster together, that's 52 right there. That's big-time production. And, yeah, as you said, Jacob Epperson was great, the big man from Australia. I think he needs to supplant Toby Hegner personally. He's very good, and he's only gotten better with more experience, more playing time. Obviously, the first time he burned his red shirt, that was when his second game ever was against Villanova, and he didn't get to do much, and he didn't really have the freedom to do so. But this time around, he played – 23 minutes that's the most he's played all season long and does a pretty good job on the floor i he could be a problem in the future and coming down the stretch maybe this might be a creighton team we see again because they're part of the crazy tie in the middle of the pack with the big east we'll see what happens with that but this was just like you said the marquette game at the bmo bradley harris center last season when we just kind of collapsed in the closing minutes of the game it wasn't as egregious because we were we had that game in the bag but creighton just never said die and just kept on coming back and we just did not look good in that overtime period at all a lot of depressed faces at the brazen fox i don't know what is going on this is three losses in six games Feels like we lose once every week, and it's, this is just not the Villanova team we've been accustomed to, or especially in recent history, but also this season. They looked pretty much invincible until January, and then they got back into looking really good, and now this month of February has not been kind to them at all. No, it has not, and I really hope this they're just dragging their feet here, and they just want to get to March themselves because they know what the real goal is here, and I, I feel that part of them believes that, but it, and I believe that too because 
they got up for the Xavier game, and we'll see how they respond against Seton Hall, which is another big game, mainly because of the rivalry and all. But it, it seems like they get up for the big games and for the rivalry games, and really, I guess that's a good thing because it shows that they care but at the same time i feel like they're kind of dragging their feet a little bit with these road games this tough stretch that we've been hyping up all year we said this was going to be a real tough one so this is to be expected but i wouldn't expect them to lose in the way that they have in these past couple games with st john's being the bad shooting performance providence was just a icky game all around and then the collapse against creighton it's they're they're finding new ways to lose which isn't exactly a good thing but Look, it, if they're beating the Xavier's of the world and if they end up beating Seton Hall, no harm, no foul. Yes, this loss against Creighton probably means they lost the Big East as well, regular season anyway. But honestly, I think once March rolls around, once the tournaments start rolling around, I, I think they'll be okay. But it, I'm still a little bit concerned. Just looking ahead, I have kind of had that feeling where it's just, come on, wake me up when it's the Big East tournament, postseason play, selection Sunday. Let's just get through these last handful of games. But it does get me a little concerned because I feel like with each of these losses in February, like I feel like after the St. John's game, I was like, all right, give me Xavier, give me Seton Hall, but everything else, just wake me up when it's Election Sunday or the Big East tournament because I feel like this regular season has just been dragging along. I don't know if it's just because of the misery that comes with losing, but you got to think that I'm not that concerned because we are still in pretty good shape. We are a top five ranked team. The pollsters and the bracketologists seem to give us the one seed still, but at the end of the day, you want to be able to play your best basketball going into March, and I feel like that's what's up, especially when it comes to you know college basketball. I feel like momentum is so big, not so much in the NBA where it's like, you know, LeBron and company can lose eight straight, but then they'll just come back when they feel like it. But in college basketball, where you have a lot, a lot of young guns, winning is very important. And we saw that with the Seton Hall team two seasons ago, the one that beat Nova in the Big East tournament. They were not looking that great in the first half of conference play, but then they just turn on a switch and they look so good coming down the stretch. And we've seen it with UConn, when Shabazz just happens to just get hot along with a couple other guards and they ride that buzz all the way to the championship. So we don't want to be playing some bad basketball. We were in that situation, well, when was that? The 2010-2011 season? Or the, no, the 2010 season where we were looking great and we just kind of collapsed at the end of the season and Mm -hmm. then we were just bounced out in the second round? That's not what we want. No. Yeah, well, it was both seasons. Uh, 9-10 was the second-round loss, and they looked like crap at the end of the season. And then 10-11 was even a bigger collapse, and they ended up – I think there was – it was an 8 or a 9 seed. I don't remember, but they lost to George Mason. So, yeah, it's uh, – you don't want to replicate those performances for sure. And I, I think with this week, you got a big game against Seton Hall. Hopefully they get up for that, especially at the road um, – especially with the road game. And then you got at home against Georgetown. I think they'll be able to correct the ship a little bit. Yeah, with the Seton Hall game, it's tomorrow night. I almost bought tickets to go. My friend found $50 floor seats. That's such a and great thing. I, I was so <laughs> tempted to go, but it doesn't, freaking tip Wednesday. Off, it doesn't tip off until 8.30 on a, yeah, like you said, like on a Wednesday. Then I have to go back to New York, and it just wasn't going to be good. And then we, you know, I had to get up early, record the podcast. A lot, a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving parts. And I figured I'll just watch it from home. Enjoy it just as much. But this Eden Hall team, 
they were not looking pretty good in the beginning of this month. There was a time when they looked like a contender, then they looked like a pretender, dropped four straight games, but now they're on a three-game winning streak. Granted, the competition hasn't exactly been top tier, and they did need an overtime win against St. John's, which was a very good game, but not what I needed in the moment because I really would just wanted to watch the Creighton-Villanova game in its entirety. But no Desi Rodriguez in the St. John's game, and he was out for a majority of the Providence game after the slip and slide. There's no update on him yet, but I would be shocked if he doesn't come back to play Villanova. Yeah, we were kind of joking before how Seton Hall basically held them out of the St. John's game because they felt that they were probably going to beat St. John's anyway with or without them and just get them ready for Villanova at this point. Yeah, and when they play Villanova, you know how it is. We're like the Final Four, Sweet 16, National Championship game, all tied in one. Damn right about that. Seton Hall had already opened up the second deck. When was it? Like November, December, they they started selling second deck tickets? That's crazy. No doubt. They hate us. Us younger Villanovans hate them. The older Wildcats aren't there yet, but I don't I don't like them. I respect them because I, I really like Angel Logato. I think he's a great center. I also like Miles Powell. I enjoy watching him play. But at the end of the day, I'm not trying to take an L. No, no, not at all. You don't want to see Jared Cena roll, running around. You don't want to see Sterling Gibbs hopping on the table, punching your point guard in the face. You don't want Isaiah Whitehead flexing on you. Yeah, it, there's... Uh, been some memorable games and because of the actions of Seton Hall and just because just because of the great games that have been played between these two it it really has built up a, a rivalry here that really like you said only kind of Villanova's our age can really understand and yeah it's I'm looking forward to it I really hope we win obviously just because beating Seton Hall is just just that much sweeter and especially on the road too I like seeing their fans uh, go home sad Yeah, since conference realignment, it's just been classic after classic after classic. It seems like each year there's always at least one guaranteed good Villanova-Seton Hall matchup. Coming into this game, Seton Hall is 20-9, and 9-7 in Big East play, part of that four-way tie for third place. So this will be a pretty important game in terms of seeding for them, and maybe for us too, because who knows, we might see them again in the Big East tournament. The Pirates are coming in with a three-game winning streak. I think Desi Rodriguez will be back. He's their leading scorer. He's really taken a big step up this season. I would think that as a senior, he would not want to miss this game. Then you have Angel Delgado, who got slapped around by Omari Spellman last time. Well, I shouldn't say slapped around because he did hold his own. He did get buckets. But in the beginning, it was just all Omari Spellman. And Omari Spellman was just rating threes against him. And then you have Miles Powell, who's just a dynamic sophomore guard. He's more than just a one-dimensional scoring threat. I think he really starts to impact the game in many different ways, whether it's on defense, grabbing boards, dishing out assists, being able to be a weapon in transition, driving inside, not just a spot-up three-point guy because he's just so much more than that. And against St. John's, he wasn't really raining threes, but he was able to really contribute his own and get buckets, get boards, dish out assists, get big-time turnovers, make big-time plays. And Kadeem Carrington, I think he's been the glue in all this. He's been very inconsistent this year, but in the two games that Desi Rodriguez has been out or hasn't really been in commission, he's really stepped up his play, and he's looking like the Kadeem Carrington of old that we saw that could just be a lights-out scorer, has a lot of swagger, plays hard-nosed defense. So we'll see how this team does. We all know it's all about the core four. 
with Delgado, Rodriguez, Carrington, and Powell. But Ishmael Sinogo, I'm not going to lie. I don't know how I didn't really pay attention to this earlier, but I think he's low-key one of the better defenders in the conference. Yeah, with regards to Sinogo, I mean, you always knew he was a good rim protector and, and the like and grab some boards. But yeah, I guess he's really developed a, a defensive game this year. And I really haven't watched as much Seton Hall basketball as I would have liked this year so far. I feel like a lot of their games are on odd, odd times and the matchups just haven't been intriguing. And they were on like a bad losing streak. I think they lost like four in a row at some point. It was just miserable watching them. But now they've, they've corrected the ship, as you said. So, yeah, this, uh, this will be interesting. Midweek at the Rock. Last midweek game at the Rock was two years ago. They always seem to flip it. It seems like they always uh, – Villanova has the home game one weekend in one year and then the away game in midweek next. And the last time was uh, another highly contested game. Villanova ended up pulling away late, hit some clutch. I think it was some clutch free throws. I don't remember who hit them. I think it was Arch uh, at the end of the twenty, middle of the 2015-2016 season. So hopefully we get a similar result. And, yeah, I, I, well, I really want to see how Omari Spellman does this game. I want to see how if he can replicate the performance like he did against Delgado. I know, like you said, Delgado did put up his own good stat line, but Omari really had a field day against them offensively. So I want to see if he can replicate that. And because this is a true road test and against a really good player, possible Big East player candidate, I know Jalen's probably going to win it, but he's in the discussion, Delgado. So, yeah, I want to see how Omari responds and, and hopefully we come away with a victory here. Yeah, these are two very passionate centers that are very confident. And if I'm Angel Delgado, and I'm sure he feels this, He's, he's a little cocky, but he's not going to let a freshman show him up again. That's not going to happen, or at least it's not going to be as easy as last time. So I'm expecting an even bigger dogfight down low or wherever Omari Spellman tries to take him, whether it's at three-point line again or just shutting him down from the inside the paint. In the beginning of the game, maybe he'll be able to extend for all 40 minutes. But we'll see what happens. But I think it'll be a very good game, as you said. This is going to be a fun one because it's kind of, I don't want to say it's a rivalry yet, but it's been one of the more signature matchups in the Big East. I know you said you haven't watched a lot of Seton Hall, but I feel like every time I've seen Seton Hall this season, it's been an L every time. Like I covered the Rhode Island game in the Barclays Center, and then I watched the Rutgers game on TV, and then I saw them take a fat L to Marquette twice, and then they lost to Xavier. So I just feel like every game I've seen them play, it's always been a loss. I've never seen a Seton Hall win. So uh, I'm waiting for that. Hopefully it's not against us. But let's just hope that trend continues of me just watching Seton Hall losses. Yeah, you better be watching this game. <laughs> we need we need your, uh, your good luck on this. This game will tip off tomorrow night, Wednesday, at 8.30 p.m. And it'll be on FS1. We'll certainly be watching because this is probably one of the more highlight games of the season, especially between this and Georgetown. I guess I guess it's something for the new generation of Wildcats and the old timers because, like you said, when you talk to your dad about it, even when Georgetown's trash, it's always fun to beat up on them. And for us, it's always fun to beat up on Seton Hall. Yes, it is. should be an exciting uh, last week of the regular season, which I can't believe is, is this week. In some ways, it felt like it flew by. But in other ways, it also felt like it took forever to reach its point. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with you. It has flown. Like when you think about, like, oh wow, like that Tennessee game in Atlantis was like back in November. Now, like February has just dragged on, and it's the shortest month. But there's been so many games, 
and, and the, I think the losses have just made it feel longer than what it actually is. So before we look at the women's basketball senior day festivities, let's just take a quick look at the polls. New poll came out, and Virginia is still number one. Michigan State's number two. Xavier has leapfrogged us to number three, and we have dropped to number four. And Duke is still number five. No other Big East teams are ranked. We do have Creighton and Seton Hall in the receiving vote section, but right now we are still in the top five. Thoughts on this poll? Thoughts on Duke being number five? Because clearly they're not going to stay there anymore after what happened last night with Virginia Tech. What do you think about this edition of the polls? Is anyone angry here? Is anyone upset? I don't know if there's any cause for that this week. Yeah, I don't know how you can be. I'm actually pretty happy with it. I was fully expecting Duke to jump us. We talked about several times how the pollsters just love Duke. No matter what they do, they always seem to get a big bump, no matter, regardless of their record during the week. But, yeah, Villanova held strong at four. I mean, they only dropped one. And they're and if you're looking at the points, they're only six points behind Xavier, according to the AP. Now, if you look at the coaches' poll, Duke got moved up to three. But we're, we don't we don't pay attention to that poll anymore, apparently. So, yeah, I'm fine with us as four, and pretty much every bracketologist out there has us as a one seed still. And even if we're a two seed in the East, as long as we're in the East as a one or a two, I don't really care. It's pretty interchangeable at this point, I feel like. And a lot of people have argued that being a two seed would be better because there's less pressure and all, all that stuff. But as long as we're in the East, playing in Boston, hopefully, and on the second weekend, um, I'm okay with that. Agreed. And as we've seen with the seeding, I don't even know if it's so much one or two anymore. I think it's about who's in your bracket. I feel like the roads and the paths and the matchups are what are important because, as we've seen, we could be the one, and then they're going to throw four seeds disguised as eight seeds in our bracket. And then if you survive that, then you get the fun task of going against Florida. Then after that, Duke. So it's just loading brackets. Or, for example, what happened to Wichita State, which we talked about before, which was a crime and a half when they were the one seed and they were undefeated. So we'll see how it is. I think it's still very good that we're going to be a one seed, but hopefully the committee doesn't shaft us this year. Yeah, really, that's all you can hope for at this point. Obviously, when I was talking about being in Boston, I mean, obviously, uh, I was just uh, you need every little advantage you can get because you just know the committee is just going to do something stupid, whether it be the round of 32 matchup, or maybe they'll give us Harvard in the round of 64 just to make it just that much more stressful because you know how the Ivy League's performing in the, the tournament. So, yeah, you, you never know what the committee will do. Hopefully hopefully they'll just give us a, an easier path than usual this year, but I don't know. The way we've been playing, they might give us a harder path, so who knows. So transitioning over to women's basketball, they wrapped up the regular season this past weekend. First, they played Providence at home, and unlike the last time they played Providence, when they needed that comeback, this time around they left very little doubt as they just absolutely leveled Providence at home. Wire-to-wire finish, winning 70-43. to You had four different Wildcats finishing double figures, with Kelly Jaycott leading the way with 15. America Deka and Alex Loon had 13 points apiece. And then Janet Tucker coming in with 12. Adriana Hahn was back in action, but she only scored three points and had four rebounds and two assists. Didn't really do too much against Providence, Chris. What did you think about this one? So what stuck out to me with the Providence game? Well, they absolutely destroyed them. They won by a final score of 70-43, to 43, and it really wasn't close from the get-go. 
Villanova jumped off to a hot start, and by the end of the first quarter, had already dropped 25 points compared to Providence's 13. And then they went from more of an offensive mind to a defensive mind in the second quarter, allowing just six points to Providence while scoring 18 of their own and basically put the game out of reach from there. And in the second half, they only gave up 24 points in combined in the third and fourth quarter. So it was a, a pretty solid effort all around. There really was no complaints here whatsoever. Maybe a little maybe a little subpar in the three-point shooting, but overall, you look at Janet Tucker, 4 of 8. Kelly Jaycott, 3 of 7. Bridget Harley, 2 of 3. You know, the, every, everyone important was shooting pretty well. Everyone got theirs. Uh, you had four people. You had four players in double digits in scoring, and... I thought the defense was pretty good, only allowing 43 points in the day. So it was a complete all-around effort. Yeah, the defense was absolutely fantastic. No Fryer hit the double-digit mark. And Javon Novicic, who's one of the top scorers in the conference, only had seven points. And then overall, as a team, they only shot 32%. And you're not going to win very many games shooting 32%. And as we saw, Villanova just absolutely leveled them. But the game after that on Sunday afternoon was probably the more important one. It was the regular season finale. And they went up against the Creighton Blue Jays, who smoked them the last time they played them at Omaha. This time they had them back at home. And it was for Senior Day. Chris, I know it was Senior Day. We did celebrate a bunch of seniors like Alex Lewin, Nicolette Giuliano, who was a former manager, Megan Quinn. But even though it was about the seniors, there was one sophomore that just absolutely lit it up. And that was Mary Gadeka. We've talked about her before, but she came off the bench, played 21 minutes, and scored 21 points, and helped Villanova down the Blue Jays 55-48. to What did you think about that Sunday matinee? Yeah, you, you mentioned senior night, but this, this game had even more importance to it because due to a Creighton loss to Georgetown, which was a pretty big upset at the time earlier in the week, this, this game was basically for the three seed. And the way the things ended up falling for the Big East tournament, this was pretty critical because if Villanova beat Creighton, they would be the three seed and they would be matched up with DePaul as a two seed. Now, obviously, they got to win their first game to get to DePaul and DePaul has to win as well, obviously. But it like we mentioned last episode, Villanova matches up much better against DePaul than against Marquette. So it's glad, glad they're on the same side of the bracket for the Big East tournament. Now on to this game. Kadeka, obviously the story in the day, 9-16 from the field, good for 21 points, absolutely phenomenal performance from her. You got Alex Lewin contributing 12, Jana Tucker contributing 10 of her own, and the team as a whole did not really shoot that well from three, from beyond the arc. Four of 19, but the key was they were working it inside, taking their, taking some easy shots, finishing 20-54 of day from the field, but they also played some pretty good defense. Creighton only shot 19 of 57 from the field with a brutal 2 of 19 from beyond the arc with Olivia Elger coming off the bench. She was 0 of 8 on the day from the field and 0 of 5 from beyond the arc. If you're looking at the starters, the starters only hit two threes of their own, the only two for Creighton. It's just absolutely brutal performance, brutal shooting performance by Creighton, and that really allowed Villanova to work their game. And, yeah, they didn't have that great of an offensive game themselves, only putting up 55 points. But the defense really turned it on this weekend. It was apparent against Providence. It was apparent against Creighton. And as a result, they're sitting as a three seed in the Big East tournament. And really, that's that's pretty damn good considering what we were expecting this year. 
We mentioned last time that the keys to stopping Creighton was to not allow their forwards to go off on them, especially Audrey Faber, who is that dynamic forward that we've seen just go off on Villanova. But as long as they limit them or maybe let them get their buckets and limit everyone else, then they've managed to win a bunch of those matchups where they really maybe shouldn't have. And Audrey Faber was just nowhere to be found. She absolutely killed Villanova last time on the boards at the three-point line inside just in every way. But this time around, she only had seven points, six boards, was three for 11 on the floor. Jalen Agnew absolutely lit it up from deep. This time around, she couldn't hit a single three, only had four points. But for Creighton, everyone else scored under eight points, except for Sydney Lamberty, who had 20 points and 10 boards. She had a fantastic game, the all-around point guard, but it obviously was just not enough. With Mary Gadeka just coming off with 21 points, and then you have Alex Loon with 12, and Janet Tucker with 10. As you said, this was just a very important game, especially once we saw that Creighton lost to Georgetown. This became that battle for the three seed that we totally anticipated, and it's totally helped now that DePaul is on the same side of the bracket, and they won't have to face Marquette until the very end. And DePaul is a team that they have beaten before. They split the series with each team winning at home, but now they'll be having to do it in the Big East tournament at a much bigger stage, so we'll see how that goes. But we're not going to talk about the Big East tournament yet. We're going to save that for next episode when we'll preview it a little more and some of the teams out there to watch for when all 10 Big East teams hit Chicago and the Windy City for the Women's Big East tournament. But overall, just congratulations to the seniors. To Villanova, a very solid season so far, 22-7, and 12-6 record in the Big East. Things looked a little shaky at the beginning, but they really figured it out, put themselves together, finished 9-3 and after starting off 3-3 three and three in Big East play. Chris, a couple more wins maybe. Do you think that they're already in the NCAA tournament, or would you like to see a few more wins? I mean, obviously you'd like to see a few more wins, but do you think they need it? I don't think they need it, but I, I would like to win – that game against Georgetown, I think that would do wonders for Villanova's confidence. I don't think they want to sit on a bad loss going into the tournament. I mean, maybe that could fuel them for a run. You never know, but I feel like you got to kind of have to be Georgetown there. And then if you bow out against the Paul in Chicago, I mean, it's kind of expected, but I mean, you could also beat them too. And then you could be in the Big East final, but yeah, I, I think they're in the tournament as is. So I'm okay with this. This is an absolutely great season. Big upset over Duke earlier in the year. And like you said, a little bit of struggles in the middle of Big East play. They had that really rough stretch where they played like 10 games in like that days. It was absolutely nuts, but it's kind of settled down. They played some good ball to end the year. And they're going to be going to the tournament for the first time in a while. So that's, that's pretty cool. They started off the Big East tournament on March 4th against Georgetown. Sixth seed at Wintrust Arena in Chicago, the good old Windy City. We'll touch upon that on Thursday. First, before we dive into the mailbag, we just want to touch upon and address a couple of different things. First off, as we got off the air on Friday, there was some breaking news from Yahoo Sports about some more NCAA corruption, players getting cash. Chris, when you heard the news, what was your gut shot reaction to the craziness? It involved a few biggie schools. A couple more prominent schools and players. Some shocking ones, like, for example, Wichita State with Fred Van Vliet. Who would have thought that small schools would be doing such a thing? But what did you think about that? 
Well, when I first read the report, I was like, oh, God, I really hope Villanova is not on it. And we ended up finding that there were a couple of Villanova names on that report. It was uh, Kyle Lowry, Antonio Pena, and Malik Waynes. Now, there was a lot of speculation going into that as to if, oh, well, you know, this could have been after the fact, after they signed, they could have signed on as pros, and we're not 100% sure on that. And then you also had that, that little snippet where it said there was a meeting with Villanova coaches. A little sketchy, but at the same time, you don't know exactly what went on. They literally could have just gotten dinner, or they could have been pitching some big-name recruiter, whatever, whatever sketchiness went on. We don't know if anything sketchy went on. But... At the same time, is, is really anyone shocked by this? You knew it was, it was this stuff's been going on. You just didn't know the magnitude of it or the actual ins and outs of it. Like Miles Bridges having to pay like the NCAA 40 bucks because Michigan State bought his mom like dinner or something. I don't even know what it was. It's just been so crazy with the stupid, uh, the stories that have been going on, something so small like that and to stuff really big where you have Sean Miller on a wiretap, uh, admitting to paying DeAndre in $100,000 to secure his recruitment. It's just, it's such a dirty sport and it, it sucks because I feel like the NCAA did it to themselves. But at the same time, you just knew that the stuff's going on. You just didn't know the magnitude and to finally have like a giant bombshell like this all at once kind of sucks, kind of takes away the momentum from the season. And I feel like, like we were saying, how the seasons are kind of dragging. I feel like this adds, adds to the drag of the season. I believe the picture or the document in question referenced something from 2015 or loans from 2015. And even though Kyle Lowry, Malik Waynes, and Antonio Pena were listed in it, I don't think there's any cause for concern yet. No reason to hit the panic button. For all we know, you know, they were years ago. So this was probably after when they've gone pro, and I'm sure they've done dealings with ASM. So I'm not going to panic about that just yet. I think it was absolutely crazy. I thought, you know, you saw a bunch of Big East players, especially. It started to hit home a little bit. I mean, you saw Seton Hall with Isaiah Whitehead. You saw Justin Patton with Creighton. You saw Edmund Sumner with Xavier. And then you saw a couple of other prominent players, as you mentioned, DeAndre Ayton, but then you also had Markel Fultz, Miles Bridges, Bam Adebayo, Dennis Smith Jr. And th those were just some of the few. There was a, there were a lot of schools involved. It looked like 20 or so. And you got to imagine there's definitely going to be more. It's only going to get uglier from here. How the NCAA fixes it, I have no idea. I don't even think it's like as easy as paying the players anymore because there is definitely so much corruption that they have to just go through first before they can start probably coming up with a fair pay to like pay everyone. Because you, you saw all these amounts. They were just so varying. You had maybe a couple hundred here versus $70,000 versus $15,000. Just so varying, and it's just crazy how all this has been going down. I'm not surprised. I'm sure you're not surprised. I don't think anyone else should be surprised. I think the NCAA is surprised, but that's also because they're idiots. And there's just, I don't know what's going to happen next. I'm just expect, if there's anything that I am expecting, it's more schools, more names, more programs, more players being exposed. If there's one thing I hope for, it's not Villanova. And I hope that there are no sanctions. If the 2009 Final Four run gets taken away, or if the 2016 National Championship gets taken away, I don't know. I don't think there are words right now that would describe my disappointment and sadness. But right now, I'll be, I don't think there's anything to panic about. 
But if something were to go down the line and something was exposed, I would be so sad. Yeah, I'm on the same boat as you. I'm not panicking, but it, it is concerning to just see any connection with Villanova on there because it's one of the things as like a Villanova fan that I the reason why I'm like a real proud Villanova fan is because Villanova always preaches like oh four year students, student athlete, all that stuff, clean program, perceived clean program at all. And like you, you kinda take pride in that when you're a fan like this. Like I don't know how like when you're a Kentucky fan you can just say, Oh yeah, we get all the top recruits, we get all these mercenaries and we have a new team every year. And obviously it works for some years, like they had the undefeated regular season a few years back but but when you're a Villanova fan you take pride in the four-year stuff and you take pride in having a clean program so I really hope we come unscathed through this will we I don't know I it's too early to tell and I I doubt Jay did anything bad I, I really do but if we if the 2009 final four run gets like taken away because of Antonio freaking Pena man that's gonna suck that's gonna suck a lot and that, that was a real memorable run. I had real fun watching that team. But at the same time, I don't think anything will happen, and hopefully uh, Villanova escapes. We'll certainly keep our eyes open on the lookout in case if anything happens. But I'm sure over the next 6 to 12 months, we're going to hear a lot of exposés coming out. I think Villanova's clean for now, and I think there will be no problems. But it is unfortunate when you look at some of these other teams and all these other programs. I know at the Seton Hall-St. John's game, Kevin Willard was asked about Isaiah Whitehead. And as you can imagine, he said a whole lot of nothing, no comments, PR statements, and the team didn't apparently didn't talk about it. So it's just an ugly scene. It's very unfortunate. It affects a lot of people. It affects fans, players current players because they're the ones who are going to be punished for some past players misdeeds and obviously Isaiah Whitehead was only there for two years and they ran off with a bunch of cash and then got paid in the NBA so we'll see exactly what happens or who's next which is I think the question of what it becomes I think UNC was finally listed in that I don't know if what's going to happen to them exactly they haven't even started to hand out punishments and I'm sure there are a lot of internal investigating going on but if there's one thing that's disappointing is that the NCAA has done their own investigations in the past and nothing has come up. And once again, the FBI or some other people outside forces do, do a little bit of digging on their own and they uncover a whole lot of crap. Meanwhile, the NCAA is like, I can't believe this is happening. We were on a great establishment. Let's go ban some kids for football. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the double standard is uh, is amazing, and the and ignor- and the blissful ignorance that the NCAA has towards what's going on is just staggering. It really is. It's one thing to just act like you're saying, like, oh, like, oh, that's going on, whatever, and then just completely turn one eighty, and then, like you said, like slap like some sanctions on some program for gambling, like fantasy football, like twenty buck buy-ins. Like it's just stupid. Like they don't, they don't, they have, they don't have their priorities in order, and they did it to themselves. The other thing I wanted to talk about was actually Villanova swimming. Once again, the Villanova women's swim team did absolutely very well for themselves at the Big East Championship, winning their fifth straight title. Just absolutely dominating the rest of the Big East, and you have. Darby Goodwin, the official swimmer of the State of the Nova Nation. 
Shout outs to her. She was on the OG show when it was a video format. She took home her third Swarm of the Year award. Then you also had sophomore Michael Perry. He was Dab Diver of the Year. And you had Rick Simpson and Todd Michael Simpson, who's the head of the swimming staff. And then you have Michael, who's the diving coach. They both took home Coach of the Year honors. And it's just an absolutely another dominating performance for some sharks in the waters. And yeah, I mean, there's not much to say. I just feel like at this point, we are just on a great run. Darby Goodwin is a fantastic swimmer. She's just a junior, and she captured gold in six different events and also set some records in four different events. So just another dominating performance for her, and I feel like at some point she's just breaking her own records every time. Yeah, I remember last year we mentioned her a bunch, and it seemed like every week she was breaking a record, and she's still doing the same. It's great to hear. I haven't really kept up with the swim team, but good to know uh, we're checking in on them, and they're uh, still kicking some butt, and especially Darby. Good for her. Yeah, total shout-out to the, the Villanova swimming team for another Big East championship and another dominate performance. Now let's dive into the mailbag. As always, you can tweet us your questions, ask us anything you want at Pod, or you can leave your questions at any other discussion points in a podcast thread. Just leave it in the comments section, and it'll find its way to us. First question is from Notorious Golfer, The Dude. Is Omar Spellman trying to be Joel Embiid with all these threes right now? That is an excellent question. Omar Spellman, as we've seen, is very streaky when it comes to the three-point line, and it seems that he likes it a lot. Yes, he does. And I'm surprised he hasn't been attacking the rim more often. I feel that he's he's been complacent with three-point shooting. And, and you know, when he's on, when he's, when he's – Streakiness is on. I, I'm all for it. Like You don't need to really attack the basket if you're hitting threes. But at the same time, I, I really want to see him develop a post game. And in, in games lately, it really hasn't shown. He's he's made some he's made some nice plays underneath the basket. He, he has a, a good play every now and then. But I feel like some of his post moves are uh, easily matched by some of the more experienced centers in the league. And so against Creighton, there were a few plays in there. It was just like, don't do that ever again. Seems like some games he wants to go more inside, and some games he wants to go more three-point oriented. But but lately, it's been more three-point oriented. And I, I really want to see a more complete game from him. And I'm, I'm assuming we'll see more of that in his four years here, three to four years here, or however long it may be. But as of right now, yeah, he's really fallen in love with that three-point shot. Yeah, overall, he's not doing a terrible job. He's knocking down 45.4% of them, which is great. But it just doesn't feel like that because some days he'll have like a 1-for-6 night and then he'll follow that up with a 5-for-6 night. Right now, I think Omar Spellman, he probably does have a post game. We haven't maybe seen it as much as we'd like to or maybe just because compared to Chef or Dale Reynolds, it's not the same. He's taking 40% of his shots from deep. And since we're comparing things to Joel Embiid, Embiid only takes about 18 or 19% of his shots from deep. So almost double down on the big fella for the Sixers, the process, as he likes to call himself. I think Spellman definitely has a postgame. We've seen flashes of it and also flashes of it being ugly. It's probably not as well developed since he's only a redshirt freshman, but I'm sure in a couple of years he'll be a full-fledged war machine down low, and it will kind of be like Chef. Look, if Chef made those big jumps year in and year out, just imagine the kind of jump Omari Spellman will take now that he's had a year of experience off the court or in the practice gym, and now he's got another year of experience, except this time in real game-time action, 
he's going to be a machine next year, for sure. Yeah, like you said, if Spellman's development is anything like Chef's, and if he's able to take that big leap from freshman to sophomore year, he'll be fine. I mean, I think he's fine as is. I think he's a really good player, but would like to see more of a post game. It's definitely in him. He definitely has it, just hasn't shown. But he'll have a perfect opportunity this Wednesday against Angel Delgado, so we'll see. This other thing is a request from Jared Quinn, our guy. He asked us a lot of questions, and one of them was to hype up this contest that happens year in and year out. It's between the Alumni Association, a very friendly alumni, and it's always good to see Villanova give back. I always talk about it with people who aren't Villanovans. I feel like they're really, you know, when you go into Villanova, there's all this talk about family and community. It's not nonsense, and it's totally not all crap. I just feel like Villanova alumni are just so prideful, and it really is one big family. As soon as you meet a Villanova, you start talking basketball, and it's like you've known each other for years. And you don't really get that feel. It's always Villanovans always want to help each other. But right now there's this essay contest that goes on every year around this time. If you're a current student, that is the big caveat. You have to be a current student. You have to include your graduation year, your Villanova email address, your cell phone number, and your name. And if you can send a 200-word or less essay to Villanova NCAA student challenge at gmail.com, and you tell your Villanova story, you can potentially win $500, three nights hotel, entry to all Villanova University Alumni Association pregame events for four students during the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. So wherever Villanova ends up, you will be there. Even if it's the West region, the Midwest region, the South, or the East, you will be there. You just have to give your 200-word essay as to why you're deserving of this year's award. Definitely tell why you're a big nationer. That is definitely what you're trying to do. And you only have one shot, so definitely make it count. Shoot your shot, 2018. And once again, please email your submission with your name, graduation year, email address. Be sure to use your Villanova email address and your cell phone number and submit all of your emails by midnight on Friday, March 9th. Once again, it has to be 200 words or less, single-spaced. Send it into that email, and you can't win if you don't play. So if you are a Villanova student, the Alumni Association does a great job of doing this every year, hooking up four deserving nationers out there with interesting stories, just how they became big-time Wildcat nationers. So definitely capitalize, and good luck to everyone who participates. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us through a variety of channels. You have Podomatic, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Please spread the word and also check back on viewhoops.com regularly, daily, whatever it may be. We will have all your Villanova athletics needs, especially when it comes to the hardwood, men's and women's. Also, please follow the website on social media at VU Hoops. That's good for Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at eRepay5. And you can follow me, Chris Stanzial, at The Stands Man on Twitter. Nomination, happy Tuesday. Hope everyone has a great day. Let's beat some Pirates tomorrow. And let's gear up for the Big East Women's Basketball Tournament over there in Chicago. <laughs>